Hello. Passionate about sustainability, energy, and climate? You're in the right place. Welcome to Energetic. I'm Maureen Cornelis, and together we will engage with people who dedicate their lives to climate justice and making a just energy transition happen. They may be activists, scientists, policymakers, or other enthusiasts, just like you. Let the life stories and insights inspire you to build a better future for people and the planet. Chalos is not only a seasoned advocate for social justice and environmental sustainability. For 15 years, she's been on the front lines combating issues like energy poverty in London's marginalized communities. Aryanisha has a calling. She wants to help the helpers through spiritual wellness. As a Northern Buddhist, her name, which means she whose dream is of the noble ones, mirrors her commitment to elevating human dignity and her desire to bring systemic changes. In 2022, Aryanisha decided to leave her role with Repowering London to found her own business, whose mission is to empower other changemakers, coaching them in leadership, power and well-being, and enabling them to effectively drive social and environmental reforms. Aryanisha, welcome to Energetic. Mm, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much, Aryanisha. So you have a beautiful name, which signifies mm. she whose dream is of the noble ones. But it carries a lot of weight. <laughs> so how does this spiritual dimension influence your approach to social justice and environmental sustainability? What came first? Mm, gosh, yeah, which came first? I mean, I feel like they're so intertwined because my exploration of Buddhism uh, started at the very same time that I kicked off my own career. So uh, I think I ended up on a retreat at a place called Arnakota in Scotland a few months after I graduated in 2011, if I've got the right decade that we're in now. And yeah, so my whole uh, kind of leap into the world of sustainability and, uh, and justice and all of that was just sort of shaped by me exploring my own mental states and my own behaviour as well. So you can't really separate them out. Like I even had someone ask me on LinkedIn the other day, like, how do I integrate Buddhism into my coaching work? And It's basically completely inseparable. It's just maybe more that the language I use is very secular and very accessible because that's very important to me. Um, but yeah, it's not like there's like Buddhist version of me and this other version of me is sort of completely intertwined. Um, and in terms of, I think, how my name affects me and my work, well, there's different ways that you can look at like the name and what it kind of signifies and uh, it's definitely like an aspirational it's definitely an aspirational name <laughs> I, I'm not always she whose dream is of the noble ones I'm sometimes she who is quite drum grumpy and reactive with my fiance <laughs> so there's this kind of aspiration aspirational element in it and I think first and foremost it gets me to take responsibility for my own actions my own ethics um my own mental states my own ways of communicating with other people so that really has to come first that you know taking complete radical responsibility for how you show up in the world and then it kind of radiates out from there and when I was given the name because you have this whole kind of like ceremony around it it's like a whole thing and uh, I remember the day after or it might even been like a couple of hours after actually going for a walk and I was up in some Fenlands in Wales 
near the retreat center. And I just immediately had this sense of, um, oh, that dream of the noble ones, that dream of, um, you know, people who are, have really liberated themselves from greed, hatred and delusion. That dream can't just stay something in my own mind. It has to become something that's real. It has to get taken out into the world. So maybe there's just this dialogue between that kind of really, really beautiful vision and how to, yeah, turn that into reality. So it's not just like some nice kind of fluffy idea, really, or it's not just nice sentiment but it's something that um yeah we're just kind of working towards day day to day uh, and I do think my role as a coach actually is to hold people's potential in mind when they can't for themselves like I think that's really important um, we don't always see ourselves clearly and we can get very focused on the negative things that we want to change we can relate to ourselves as problems that need to get fixed and really holding that kind of potential for liberation and compassion and courage and all of that and that's what I think a good mentor and coach will do for you it's certainly what people have done for me as well yeah there you go it's a little bit <laughs> still called day about my name it's like it's meant to be your path it's your kind of like your path of practice everything is contained within the name so really about this path that you that you just mentioned so you've transitioned from being on the front lines addressing mm. energy poverty to coaching change makers to coaching the people who are on the front lines addressing energy poverty addressing vulnerability trying to overcome uh, or to be uh, the the change they want to see in the world but somehow you also the focus of your business is also to enable them to to be the best version of themselves and to somehow avoid some kind of overload or even burnouts. So what was the catalyst that inspired this significant career shift? I mean, part of it was, I understand that was the name that was given to you, uh, that you had this in you, but was there other elements that led you to change to, to this journey? Oh, I love talking about this. It's so interesting when we're trying to weave the narrative of, of our lives together. Like, I've definitely noticed over the years, like, when I talk about why I'm a Buddhist, why I've made certain decisions, like, the, my story about it changes, the sense of what the, what the sort of significant factors changes in itself. Um, so I find the process of reflecting on this interesting anyway. Um, I can make it sound, like, really, like, straightforward and sensible, like... I've gone through several cycles of burnout myself. Uh, my mum and my sister both also have chronic fatigue. They work for um, a local welfare benefits team. So they're helping, helping people in the front lines of poverty all the time as well. So it's very, like, obvious, straightforward things. But I also just got back from my ordination retreat, which was, like, I had three weeks away in Wales for it. I got back and I just had this... I had this very, very strong kind of vision one day during a meditation practice of being on a shore, looking out over the ocean and just being surrounded by, well, it was actually just surrounded by women. I think it was just generally people, but it felt very strong like it was women. And just kind of breathing in and out as the sea just kind of flowed in and out. And there's this great sense of expansiveness and, um, yeah, just being part of this kind of, like vast crowd of women who were kind of looking oh, for something uh, and then I spent basically like two weeks of doing tarot cards every single morning for myself as a self-coaching tool so I just get you know I just ask myself a question like what do I feel 
cool to do with my life. And then I'll just pull a few tarot cards out, read the blurb and then see what happens. And this has kind of emerged. So I've got these like two versions of this story. One, which is probably like a bit more woo-woo, uh, which just came out of, yeah, this ordination and this vision and quite I had a lot of dreams I mean part of the reason I have this name is because I have very very vivid dreams which are often very symbolic for me yeah and this whole like tarot card process and the sense of just following this calling which I feel is really important and then just very pragmatic you know I've been in the frontline sector for years I know how easy it is to get ill if you're not careful Uh, my family are affected I was teaching people to meditate within South London at my Buddhist community there and so many people were coming in, having done this kind of work, looking to meditate because they'd heard it would help them be less stressed. And I knew there were more systemic issues that were going on too. So you can have whichever version of the story that you like. Maybe they're both true. Maybe they kind of affect each other. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're really uh, both infringing each other because somehow they, you know, those kind of um, visions, intuition, you name them, they kind of really help you tap into the potential, something that unconsciously you, you already wanted. And really one of the things that you aspire for that you your business focuses on is coaching in leadership power and well-being i mean mm. it's a podcast about energy and the people who make the energy <laughs> transition happen so i love the fact that you talk about power i love this synonym in english uh the, the term power power uh as energy yeah. but also power of inner power uh, of the people but could you elaborate on how these three elements intersect in the work of a change maker uh, really why they need more leadership power well-being what is the um, the recipe I feel like they rub up against each other in a way that's really helpful um I, I definitely found that within the kind of meditation and well-being space there's a risk of falling into a kind of niceness you know, we're just sort of, we're just kind of looking after ourselves. It's all just sort of very nice kind of self-care stuff, which I think is great. It's very kind of like inward looking after yourself. But we also, like, there's also a need to have agency and to influence change. And that's also, like, that's also hard and it requires not always being like the night, you know, like the traditionally like nice person. It means communicating about things which might be difficult. It means saying no. It means calling out violence and destruction in the world as well and when we're doing that that also really affects our nervous systems uh too so i feel like this whole like well-being and power stuff needs to go together because if you just have like sort of power well power and leadership without the well-being stuff um or people just get burnt out <laughs> you need to look after yourself but if you just do the well-being it can just kind of um well, it's fine, but it's just not what I'm about. Just not, I'm not just about us just not having nice lives. Do you know what I mean? I'm not just about us having nice lives. There are people out there in the world that don't have nice lives and I want to go and help them. And that means doing stuff that's really difficult. It means doing things that I don't like all the time. It means doing things that I might be scared about as well. And so then you need this leadership and the power stuff to come in too. Um, I don't know if that's very articulate, but it feels something like the two need to be together. So somehow it's about taking care of yourself, putting your mask first, and then helping the the other person who's seated with you, like on the plane. So helping yourself in order to help other people, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
yeah, completely. It's like you, and you, you need to resource yourself internally. And if you're if you're doing work that's hard, if you're saying no, or you're saying I think there's a better way, or uh, we can't keep doing it like this, it's going to really impact your nervous system. Um, and I think one of the reasons I wanted to put power in there is because I've worked main I've worked with a lot of women, and within my ordination training process. There's uh, like a lot of like women's only spaces, which I've really benefited from. Um, but women in particular, I think, can really struggle to be visible, to say things that other people might not like, to rock the boat and all of that. But that has a very visceral impact on your body. And so I think this is where burnout can come in, is that we we keep kind of putting our heads above the parapet and we keep stretching ourselves because that's what we feel called to do and want to be responsible citizens and all of that. But our bodies just... Uh, well, we're scared. I think a bit of us is just actually scared that I'm, you know, I'm putting myself out there and I'm going to get attacked. I'm going to get challenged. I'm going to get criticised. My very life might, you know, for some people, like their very lives might get threatened from what but they're, what they're doing. So then, then people sort of wonder why they're burnt out. It's like, well, of course, like your animal body is scared every single time you speak up about something that it's going to get attacked. Uh, and that will have a kind of a long term impact on you. Yeah, I would also expect that people working in this field also face their fair share of climate anxiety, uh, which is uh, probably higher among the people who are working in energy slash climate field than among, let's say, people who are not aware or interested in anything related to climate. So uh, that's uh, that's also part of, uh, of reading the narrative or, like, or the conversation, trying to preserve yourself, trying to find ways to fight the good fight and uh, be the, the best version of yourself because that's uh, the what the world needs. And recently I saw on LinkedIn that you developed some some kind of characters. Yeah. C could you tell me more about them? And I mean, that's the interesting part of this podcast is that it's going to be released on the 1st of, of uh, November, which is also Halloween. So, you know, it's time to play with this kind of, of characters as well. So can you elaborate a little bit on them and see whether our listeners could identify with, the, with them? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I love these. I'm pleased you spotted those. So, There's lots of different kind of approaches that you can use with coaching and training. And particularly with working with our minds, one of the challenges that we can have is that because it's us and our, our patterns are so deeply embedded, it can be difficult to create space between who who we are sometimes when we're not being so helpful and who who we want to become. And so one of the tools that you can use is, is personification. You can create characters for Uh, that kind of represent a whole set of mindset, communication and nervous system responses that will get kind of like tied up within this character. And then when you create as a character, it creates like a little bit of space between you and this set of behaviours that you want to kind of look at more clearly and, and transform. So I do it with all sorts of things. I do it with your people pleaser. I do it with your internal critic. I do it with your external critic. I've got all these like little kind of ways of us personifying these, yeah, these particular habits and ways that we are in the world. And what I've noticed is that when you are in a helping role, so you're trying to do something to benefit the world, you people tend to approach it um, in certain kinds of ways that I think have certain kind of patterns. And that can kind of be like more or less helpful. And 
so for example, within like the climate space, I think there's the, um, well, I'll tell you the five that I've just come up with. I just spend my time coming up with these things and there's not just five. People create these frameworks and they're like, these are the five whatnots. It's like, there's probably a lot more than that. It's just a framework that we're using to play with. So it's not a definitive list. Um, but the ones I've created for now are um, the warrior, the healer, the sage, the magician and the monarch. Yes, these are different ways of engaging with helping other people on our planet. And yes, the warrior archetype or character, I think, comes out a lot in in the climate space at the moment. And it's it's necessary. Like we need to kind of like galvanize energy. We need to kind of cut through the kind of delusions that are out there. We need to kind of cut through the apathy and the kind of woolly thinking and all of that. We need we need a kind of energy that's quite kind of forceful and engaging and basically gives us a bit us a bit of a kick up the arse and says, like, we need to get on and do something. This isn't going well for us. So you need that kind of like warrior-like energy, which is great. You know, and a warrior is also very brave and are willing is willing to sort of stand up for what they believe in, um, is willing to you know, sacrifice themselves at times for that. They're willing to, you know, take a few shots, take a few hits as well. Uh, instead of just kind of saying, oh, well, it's someone else's job over there. You know, the kind of warrior is kind of like in there um, fighting the fight. But it comes with a set of problems. So um, warriors also tend to be quite polarised. Yeah, so we can get into these like good, you know, I'm the good guy, you're the bad guy. They can like rush into things. Uh, if you're kind of engaging with a climate crisis um, from a warrior perspective, there's a very good chance that, well, you can't kind of keep that level of energy going all of the time. And I think that's why you see a lot of burnout within the activist space, for example, is because you're kind of, your nervous system to be to act as a warrior your nervous system needs to be jacked up all the time and that will run out after a while like most warriors aren't fighting battles like every single day 365 days a week you know you have a battle you go and have a rest <laughs> have a few days off and come back so it's warriors on batteries yeah 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 exactly they so that, that's a kind of particular set of habits and can you see how there's there's lots of positives or kind of superpowers of that kind of way of engaging with an issue. Um, and you could apply it to anything, the state of the health sector in the UK, poverty within South London, anything that's going on in Italy, I'm sure we can engage with it as a warrior. So it's got certain benefits, but yeah, it's got these kind of shadow sides as well. And if they're kind of unchecked or if you're not aware of them, they can actually undermine your own efforts. So, for example, like it's very easy, we all know, working in the energy space, if you're trying to actually get things done to get very frustrated with people you might need to partner with, because you're like, why? We just need to get on with this. Why aren't you doing this more quickly? But you can't interact with someone like that all the time. They're not going to want to work with you. You need to cooperate. So that kind of spirit can undermine your efforts in the in the real world. Whereas the healer is quite a different metaphor archetype. Uh, or in personal myth to work with. Uh, I'm probably, I'm very conflict averse actually, so I'm probably not the warrior type. A bit of me like is kind of an aspiring warrior, but I'm probably more of a healer archetype. So it's, it's very uh, kind of kind, very giving, um, very much kind of wanting to go out and um, and care for others. You know, there's a lot, again, lots that's very lovely with that. But the healer can also... It can absorb too much of the illnesses that they're encountering all the time. And I definitely know this working on the front lines of poverty. You know, if you're, there's a lot more interest in vicarious trauma, for example, in the third sector, you know, being exposed to 
lots of distressing situations every single day you start absorbing that so yeah the healer's very close to the illness they can kind of absorb it but also if you set yourself up as a healer you always need someone to heal and so you create this dynamic where you're the helper who needs someone to be helped and if you're not careful you can disempower people um by kind of making them rely on you so it's very egocentric somehow Yeah, it can be egocentric. I and mean, we've got to be really honest about this. I think it's so important that is if you're trying to help that you don't just try and put yourself on a pedestal, but actually sometimes people need to be empowered to see that they have the skills and they have the internal and external resources to heal themselves. Whereas if you're just telling them all the time, I'm here to solve all your problems, let me solve all your problems. It it doesn't enable them to to grow and get confidence in themselves either. Uh, so that I'd probably say that's probably one of the other weaknesses of of the healing type is that it you've there's a tendency to disempower people and s- instead of giving them the tools and the training that they need to rise up as well. So the healer can become a vampire? Oh. Yeah, I think I think actually they can. It's like you can create a kind of codependency. You can create a codependency in the relationship where you you know you get your self-worth from how much you feel like you're saving people and that can fall apart i think uh you can tell this when you know if someone you're trying to help then is suddenly angry with you on the phone you can just get very self-righteous about it and go well i'm trying to you know why isn't this person being nice to me i'm just trying to help you sort of set yourself up on a pedestal and that yeah you can fall off <laughs> well But yeah, we don't like to talk about this stuff, do we? Don't we, you know, we like to think, oh, I'm a good person. Yeah. I'm a good person. I'm just trying to hear, I'm just here to help people. And we can kind of make ourselves a little yeah. bit untouchable. But we need to have a lot more humility, I think. Yeah. And, and that's one of the biggest, uh, really, the challenges. Because we, we know that we need more people doing their shares and acknowledging that they have a role to play in addressing the systemic changes that we, that we need. And, you know, uh, making sure that the energy transition is just and fair and inclusive, etc. But we also need to get a closer look at ourselves to understand also what our flows are to be able to kind of provide but also by giving by providing people the ways to sustain themselves and for societies to sustain itself really so what are the the three other profiles you mentioned the warrior the healer and what are the other three So I'm remembering which ones are yet. Yeah, so the sage, so what quite a lot of people in research and even, you know, even to some degree have a bit of a research background myself. I feel I've always been sort of quite blended in the in the work that I've done. And we really need people who are studying and taking a step back from the front lines and getting a bigger perspective, looking for trends and patterns and what's the data showing us, you know, all of that. And I think we're very good at They're bringing together all of this kind of rich information, qualitative and quantitative research to inform what we do. So we need that. We need people who can step back and be like, what are the facts about the situation to inform when we go? But there's a risk that if you don't have enough connection with stuff really on the ground, that you become very disconnected about what will actually work in practice. And in a way, you're quite protected. So this is where you get criticisms of people just being in ivory towers that actually, yeah, people who are just studying. And it's not necessarily 
just from an, you know, if you're in an academic role, there's lots of people who are involved in research and we really need them in, in different kinds of organisations. But I've definitely seen it, there can be this kind of disconnect between those those roles and people on the ground. And I think we do need to find ways of of really valuing valuing what the other side brings more, but also yeah, being realistic about just how hard it is to get stuff done. Like in a way, it doesn't matter if your report shows that something is theoretically possible. It doesn't mean that in my very specific set of conditions, I'm going to be able to implement it. So yeah, the sage, yeah, sage risks kind of just being disconnected from what will actually work. That's a very uh, common flow among uh, policymakers as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I love, I and I, I don't want to, I don't want to diss policymakers because, I, and anyone watching who's a policymaker, I like. I really, really value what you're doing. Thank you, because I can just get too caught up in all the practical stuff. But yeah, and it's just good to know that there can be a certain degree of mistrust. Like we need to understand how other people in other sectors view us. Mm -hmm. And even if we don't think that's fair, that impacts how people interact with us and how powerful we can be together. So like it's just good to know if you're a policymaker, there's other people out there doing very practical stuff that just kind of wonder sometimes what you're doing. We need to just and I, I, that's just I'm just I'm just telling you what's going on because we need to be honest about this stuff we're just like I don't know you just created a report I'm not really sure how it impacts me in my role I'm just trying to help some people who can't feed their kids today you know mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah we need to find ways of working together a bit better so that's the sage and then you've got the magician ah oh, the magician tell me more tell me more <laughs> tell me more so so we need people who sincerely not just kind of believe in a wishy-washy way but like seriously believe that kind of rapid transformative change is possible yeah I think we can get stuck into thinking this is how it's always been this is how it's all it's always going to be it's too hard to make change here it's too difficult to get this done at a local level whatever it is you know people can get into narratives about cop and how effective cop is now and all of that yeah we can just get stuck so what I love about magicians is they're like no, like massive change is possible when we can make it happen now. They're very visionary and about kind of rapid change. And to some extent, they're right. You know, you see, you can see in crisis how people really pull together. Like it was incredible to see what happened on the ground when COVID kicked off in South London and how communities came together to, to be honest, save each other. Yeah, it was dire in London, like really, really bad. It was basically like doing humanitarian response, um, humanitarian relief. So it, like major change can happen very quickly. Uh, the challenge I think that the magicians have is that, yeah, a bit like the sort of the sage is like, Reality is that things are very difficult and you can't just magic something out of a hat continuously. And it's just not, I think some stuff just doesn't work. Yeah. As much as we need this vision of radical change, there's bureaucracy, there's funding challenges, there's people getting ill, you know, there's just life happening. Uh, so, yeah. And I think magicians can struggle to be patient with other people and there's a risk of kind of falling into cynicism as well which is very very dangerous thing cynicism you've really got to protect your mind from it i was told this once within my buddhist community years ago it's like the um the biggest idealist can become the biggest cynics you know you can flop between having this massive vision and hope and then just thinking there's no point everyone's useless nothing's going to change and all of that so they can fall into that so you've got the magician and then and then the monarch 
And as I said, I'm sure there's lots of other archetypes that people could come up with. So I mean the kind of monarch in a very positive way. I think we can have a very negative, negative relationship with kings and queens and all of that. Especially in the UK. <laughs> yeah. You can fall either side of the argument on that. But just in terms of like an arch like a positive archetype of, of leadership, we need leaders. Oh my gosh, we need leaders. My Buddhist community very much works on like consensus. We don't have coercion or anything in our decision making and all of that. But we we really do need leadership and we need people and people are looking for it for it people are looking for leadership they really are people to to say this is the way that we're going to go this is how we're going to get there together i'm going to take responsibility for putting my head above the parapet and taking on more risk and all of that you need people who are willing to to do that but of course if you put yourself in that role in a leadership role it can be very isolated People can project all sorts of stuff onto you as a leader. I, I know this. People can have funny ideas about you. <laughs> Aren't even true, but that's just how they're going to see you. And, and also, um, because you have to be so self-reliant as a leader, like you, you need to be able to self-lead in, in order to lead other people. Um, you just get used to doing things on your own and thinking that it's, it's going to have to be you up there moving things forward and so there's a risk of not you know kind of empowering other people actually what we want is a lot of monarchs all working together we want lots of people who are willing to uh, be visible and take on risk and move everyone forward but um yeah we just need lots of people empowered to do not that not just one or two and i think it's really important for women as well to really have a look at this kind of archetype um It's very easy. And I certainly had this. Like I was, a, I'm a very good right-hand woman. Like I really define myself as being excellent in service of other leaders. And then I particularly found within my Buddhist community that women were looking to have more women up front. And I didn't particularly want to do that. Like I used to throw up if I had to do any public speaking. It used to terrify me. I would have never done this. Old version of me would have never done this. She wouldn't have even considered it. Um, But you're such a natural. I, it, yeah, exactly. People are like really surprised. Thank you. But this came through training and it came through me willing to suffer because I believed in the cause. Like I was willing to go through nights where I didn't sleep. I was willing to go through the intense self-criticism. I was willing to go through loving but strong peer feedback. I used to get feedback on my teaching for meditation and things every single week. Um, I was willing to put myself through a lot of discomfort and fear and anxiety because I believed in women stepping up and because I wasn't just going to be another person saying we need more women leaders but not being willing to be the person to do that. So I've forged myself. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's very, very much the warrior archetype that you yeah. defined earlier, really. Really, but yeah. uh, we, we are, everybody is a little bit of all of them, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. So now you have defined those archetypes. How would you use them in your coaching? And are you also willing to take on more coaching? Because I think it's, it's, it's also the purpose of this podcast to make your vision and your ability known to to more people so really how would you use those archetypes to kind of 
kick off the conversation and and make sure that this leadership power and well-being uh, um, coaching service uh, goes on when you are approaching or you are being approached by a new organization, whatever it is. So I used to do quite a lot around organizational change. So I work on a very straightforward, continuous improvement cycle of assess, vision, plan, act. <laughs> assess, vision, plan, act. And if you've done anything on trying to get large organizations to change, we'd have come across something like that. <laughs> so I just use that. I just use it. I'm very, I'm very systematic in how I approach um, behavior change. So yeah, we we do that kind of assessment phase of basically like, looking at a schema like this and going okay where what behaviors of mine match up where where are their strengths and I think it's so important to identify Mm -hmm. strengths but also where are the things that I need to work on because they might be tripping me and other people up so yeah we do a whole kind of like assessment phase really through a kind of like a deep dive questionnaire and then yeah and then we have this kind of vision for for how you want to show up in the world particularly based on on your core core values and it's so important to imagine ourselves how we want to be and not just get stuck in this like oh this is so annoying I keep doing this Mm. thing so you have it but it's really really good kind of yeah to reach our potential yeah 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 and have someone reflect things back to you as well because Mm -hmm. quite often people don't see their good sides clearly enough so part of the visioning is for you to do it for yourself but also to get input from others who know you well yeah, and burnout can also come from this kind of low self-esteem perspective. Yeah. So it's it's important to acknowledge this. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, 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 exactly. So that visioning bit, you need to get as objective as possible. And then you just need to make a plan. You just need to like, be very concrete about what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. I think the problem with anything that's to do with personal development is it can stay very wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. You know, it can just stay at the level of like, oh, that's an interesting concept, those five myths but they're not really do anything about it and I'm all about change I'm mm. really really all about long-term sustainable radical change so you just put a plan together of like okay well what what is it that I'm just going to work on next and that needs to be concrete like okay the next time I'm in a team meeting instead of doing this I'm going to do this yes yeah? so it's very much like can you actually imagine in your mind mm what it would look like not just a oh I just need to be a bit calmer or kinder like what does that actually mean for Mm. you and then which relationships and how are you going to work on that next what's your next big step so you've got the planning stage and then and then acting and again this is where people really trip up because I think a lot of programs and coaches don't work you need to work with someone quite long term to actually get them to act because that's where it gets scary and it's hard because you're actually trying to rewire your brain and become a different person and it's not just enough for me to give you a nice little presentation for you to then go and be different in a boardroom or Mm. in any other situation so all the what the work I'm moving towards is much more kind of long-term long-term group programs long-term one-to-one coaching so that I can support people through that act bit because like within my community, like training for ordination is a long, it's a big thing. It's a long-term commitment. You get a lot of support and I've seen the benefits of that. So I want to be able to offer a, a model where people can engage with me and en- enable me to support them kind of as long as they, they need it really. So that's how I'm kind of designing things at the moment. Can you share one of your success? Oh, um, I tell you, tell you one of the things that I notice across all of my workshops is is kind of comprehensive these these frameworks are. The two things that I notice is that one, people just need something very practical to help them change something. Like mm-hmm. and it might be as simple as teaching them how to breathe properly. A lot of what I do is just teaching people how to breathe properly 
when they're in stressful situations. It's as simple as that. <laughs> and the other thing that's consistent across all of my different types of audience, so like frontline workers in poverty to policymakers to anything else, is that they come along to sessions and they say, I realized I'm not alone. And I find that remarkable that we are working with each other all the time on these massive issues. And yet so many of us feel lonely and something as simple as coming together and talking about this stuff and sharing experiences and having just something. I think what I do is tiny in a way, you know, <laughs> I just like drop something in. But the, the big impact is people coming together and realizing that they're part of a global movement of goodness in the world and that is so transformative so there's I feel like that is probably the biggest win for me at the moment is seeing that it's it's the community side of it as much as anything that is transforming people's lives and just going away and being able to go back to the kind of grind of your daily work knowing that there's someone out there who gets this as well it just feels that's really impactful so yeah a kind of collective level that feels like some of the most significant stuff that's been happening which doesn't always sound the most sexy but <laughs> but yeah I just I keep seeing it I keep seeing people write into the chat I'm not alone I realize I'm not alone like other people experience the same thing yeah so it's about triggering the conversation one inhalation at the time yeah 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 I love it I love it I try to do it uh with uh one podcast at a time but uh in any way it was a very very lovely way to wrap things up I mean Arianisha it's so inspirational uh the work you do and uh it was really a pleasure and a honor to have you in the podcast so somehow yes you define yourself as a person who dreams uh but is also very very practical and and I love that because we need more dreamers it's an archetype you didn't really define yet but But we need more dreamers and we need more 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 builders as well and uh you're you're helping them absolutely and so thank you so much Arinisha. i will uh put all the references in the show notes of this podcast and really i invite our listeners to to connect with you on linkedin because you you are so incredibly generous uh with your findings with your with your insights really you share them very uh wisely on linkedin and that's uh every every time you you share something i'm like i feel that i'm going to spend a better day so uh thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much would you like to add anything really to our listeners now. I think we just need to keep being honest with ourselves about how we're doing and we need to keep talking to each other. And it doesn't need to be rocket science. It doesn't need to be anything particularly fancy. We just need to be connecting just a little bit more about why we're doing this work, what sustains us, what we're finding challenging. And that will, that unlocks so much energy and power to keep doing this work. Um, but I think we're just not used to doing it. So yeah, it's we need to put in the effort to connect with each other based on these visions and, and what we care about. Um, and there's people out there like me that can help you do that because I know it's not, <laughs> and it's not the normal way that we communicate all the time. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Arianisha. Have a great day and uh, see you soon. Thanks for listening to Energetic. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into sustainability and the just energy transition with the most inspiring stakeholders. All links and resources are in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like this podcast, why not recommend it to a friend or a colleague? To continue the conversation, head on over to Twitter or LinkedIn. Thank you for lending your ears. That's all for this episode. Until next time.